Welcome back to the Home with Havala podcast. This week, we're kicking off the first episode of our Spiritual Gifts series, where Havala will be discussing the nine spiritual gifts, what they are, and how God uses them through us to reach the world in tangible ways. These episodes all lead up to the launch of her new book and her free global Bible study she just announced. The book is called Discovering and Activating My Spiritual Gifts. Right now, it is available for an amazing discounted pre-sale price. And don't forget to also sign up for the free 15-day study where you'll get access to 10-minute videos each day and Havla will unpack that chapter and walk you through how to discover and activate your spiritual gifts. So don't wait, go sign up right now. The link is in our show notes, or you can go to spiritualgiftsstudy.com. As you know, Havila records these podcasts from her kitchen table, sometimes even on the road, in order to bring you a valuable podcast every week. This means sometimes, as we've said before, you may hear dogs barking. And in cases like this week, she recorded this while being on a trip and there was some glitches in the audio. So we ask in advance for your grace, but also know this is such an amazing episode and it's so worth it to push through because today's episode is with Proverbs 31 Ministries Director of Theology and Research, Joel Matamale, where Havila asks him to set a theological foundation for our journey into discovering and activating our spiritual gifts. You guys, welcome to the Home with Havila podcast. I'm Havila Cunnington and this month, we are jumping into a brand new series that I am very excited about. Something that I've never done in all of my years of ministry. Um, and that is, we're going to get more into a theological conversation when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been online with me at all this season, you'll see that I'm championing my brand new book called Discovering and Activating My Spiritual Gifts. Not mine, but yours. Each of us have a spiritual gift, which I believe, and we'll, we will discover. Uh, but we're going to talk about nine specific spiritual gifts that Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians. There are more spiritual gifts. Trust me, there's a lot more to it, but he distinctly picked out nine, and those are the nine that we're going to go through. And so as we talked about going through this series on the podcast, my team and I thought, you know, it would probably be really good to have a conversation about kind of the the grounds, the foundation of the gifts of the spirit. And we couldn't think of anybody else that would fit that bill better than Joel Matamale. I want to say it right. I know we've known each other forever, but you know, yeah. you never say each other's last names. I know. So did I say it right? Yeah, that was good. Excellent. Oh, good. Okay. So Joel and I have been friends and really known each other since, uh, well, you were in high school, I think. Is that I, right? I, I was in college. So I did the internship program. And so, yeah, just, uh, but very young and yeah, a long time ago. And you met your wife at our church. And I met my <laughs> wife at The Rock. And uh, yeah, and I even put myself uh, serving in children's ministry. I don't even like kids. And I was in children's ministry, <laughs> was there. And so, yeah, it, it was formative. Uh, some of my favorite memories have a are of leading worship back then. I played guitar and right. uh, leading worship with you and your husband, Ben. And I would just be so hyped and so excited uh, every every chance we got. I think we did Saturday nights back then. And we so, did. Saturday night service. 
that was a yeah. big deal. And yes, then we played on the worship team together. Then you took, you got married, took a stage left. And I, I, you went somewhere. I thought you went up to the Seattle or yeah. where did you go? Is that right? Yeah. Yep. I went up to Bellingham, Washington. Um, I started working for a Bible software company called Logos Bible Software. And I started working with major ministries, helping um, them in the teaching and the equipping aspect of biblical research and study. And around that time, I met a gal named Lisa Turkhurst and um, Lisa and I became good friends. And she had been joking with me, Havila, for years, you know, like, um, hey, Joel, when are you going to come and start working at a women's ministry? And I'm just like, like, Lisa, I'm a dude, like, that's never going to work this, you know. <laughs> um, but one day she sat me down, she you know, and you you know Lisa really well, and and you've been around her when she starts to give a vision uh, of of a future, and she started to unpack this idea of eradicating biblical poverty. And I remember just just stopping in my tracks and thinking, oh my gosh, this is something I could give my life to. This is how the Lord has wired me. And so, uh, almost five and a half years ago, we re relocated our family to the Charlotte area. I joined uh, the staff as director of theology and research. Uh, two months ago, I finished my PhD uh, in biblical studies and theology. And so, um, yeah, I get to do a lot of fun stuff, research, writing. Uh, I help on all of Lisa's Bible studies and book projects and um, the various Bible studies that come out through Proverbs 31 as well. And that's incredible. I'm sure you probably have been living under a rock if you don't know what Proverbs 31 is, but it is an incredible ministry. And Lisa, uh, is an incredible author and woman of God, and her books are historic. I know that many of us have read them, and they've been critical, uh, but I remember Lisa and I, we were having a, we were talking on a podcast, and she was talking about your help and how she was going through, I think, one of her books, Forgiveness, um, and that journey of figuring it out, yeah. and it's just amazing to hear, like, Joel is sitting with Lisa Turkers talking about theology, and she said she couldn't do it without you. And I just, I love it. And also you're married, you have four babies. Apparently you had the four boys and one girl. So God loves you a little more, uh, but I love it. And so, so you've been busy and I know obviously not to take too much of your time, but I wanted to have a conversation a little bit and thank you for joining me on the topic of spiritual gifts. I'll yeah. be honest, I started writing this book and I grew up in a very probably non-denominational but more charismatic world. And of course I travel in all different kinds of spheres and I usually kind of try to figure out what they're used to. And I try to serve the vision of what they're used to. And if they want me to move in the gifts of the spirit, I will, if they'd rather me not, I kind of hold back and maybe go a little on incognito. Uh, but as I started writing this book, I realized, wow, this is a very, I don't know what the right word is. It's a provocative topic in the church. Yeah. And um, it's a very, I think there's a lot of maybe confusion around it or maybe misconceptions or preconceptions. So tell me a little bit about maybe your experience, the gifts of the spirit, the nine gifts that Paul talked about. Yeah, you know, one, yeah, one of the things is, you know, my background is a bit, I like to think of myself as a theological mutt. And so I did an undergrad <laughs> at a Pentecostal Bible college. I did uh, an MDiv at a, a Presbyterian seminary. My PhD was at a Southern Baptist seminary. The only thing I haven't done is Anglican. So I'm going to do that next, you know, once I get done with this thing. <laughs> But what it has done is it has really created for me, I think, something that is so necessary, which is a holistic vision of um, some of the best parts of these different traditions. And here's something that's really interesting, Have um, One of the things that I've seen across all 
uh, of these spaces is this inclination of the heart to desire what the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works, and the power that comes to the Holy Spirit. Because here's the problem. You can't get past Genesis chapter 1 without seeing the presence of the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of creation. And so if we see evidence of the Spirit everywhere in Scripture, we've got to now navigate, well, how does the Spirit relate to our lives? And so um, I, I would say like the, the Holy Spirit is one of the most critical and crucial aspects of Scripture. Um, and it's a gracious gift that God has given us and actually creates anticipation all throughout the Old Testament uh, until it shows up in power in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, wow, well said. I, I agree with you. And I think, um, you know, I remember, and I wrote about this, but I remember being, uh, you know, I, I think there's a controversy. Let's just start here. There's a controversial part that says there's a part of the body of Christ that believes in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to have the evidence of speaking in tongues. And then there's another side that it says, no, that's not the evidence. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and not have the evidence. My dad always said, listen, Billy Graham didn't speak in tongues and it didn't seem to hurt his ministry. So I, I'm curious with you, you know, what, where would you fall into suit with that? Or maybe what you'd recommend that we kind of focus in when we start talking about this, there's definitely those two camps first. Yeah, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, Paul, I think is really important. And, and your entire Bible study is really around this idea. And Paul unpacks it brilliantly, but he says this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, the Greek word there can mean both. I do not want you to be uninformed. So this is important. This is vital. Now, the nature of how the Holy Spirit works, and yes, there are going to be different people that think different things, but here's kind of where I've landed. I think Paul gets at this later in 1 Corinthians 12. Um, that actually says in verse 13, for in one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So the way that I read that, I think, okay, the Holy Spirit is a gracious gift that's given at conversion. Uh, it's given at, at, at baptism, like when these things are, are taking place, you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Now, it is absolutely plausible, it is absolutely possible for us to have access, for us to um, be in the proximity of the power of the Holy Spirit, and sadly, sadly, not um, walk in the power of the Spirit. You know, uh, and so wow. this is where I think the distinction um, is so important. This is why I think Paul says, like, I don't want you to be uninformed because there. it's kind of like the, this is the way I kind of thought about it the other day is it's Christmas time right now. We just are right, right after this. We're going to go get our Christmas tree, the live one, because my wife makes me do it. And we're going <laughs> to go and bring it in. And we're going to have a uh, presence underneath the Christmas tree. And it's going to be just absolute um, anticipation and, and a little bit of frustration for my boys because they're going to pick it up. They're going to shake it. They're going to do all kinds of things to figure out what's underneath the Christmas tree. Christmas happens. Imagine the tragedy of the kids opening up all the presents except one and just leaving it there and walking around it every day and never actually opening it up and actually experiencing the goodness of what is in that present. I think what is getting at here, uh, especially with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit gives gifts uh, and um, he's available, he's accessible for everyone who says that Jesus is the Messiah, for everyone who has, who has given allegiance over the Messiah. Now, how sad is it? if we choose willfully not to walk in the power of the spirit. Um, and so this is where my distinction would come into play. Like, I don't know that there is a greater elevation. Like, I don't think you can be more fill filled with the spirit and less filled with the spirit, but there is spiritual maturity. 
So as we grow in our spiritual maturity, as we grow in our understanding of scripture and, our, and in our um, just walking our lives out as believers, then I think in any area of life, of course, you're going to walk with greater confidence or assurance and, and uh, greater ability. Um, but I don't think that it's something that like you just arrive at and you have this superpower that all of a sudden shows up because it's something that is, that is given to all believers um, of all nations and ethnicities. Yeah, it's so cool. I love what you just said about that, like the gifts and Christmas and all the things I, that's, I, I did see it like that. And I think sometimes we think it has to do with maturity, like, oh, when you're a pastor, then you get these specific gifts. And when you're a, a evangelist, well, then yes, or if you're called to the vocation of ministry, then yeah, you get those gifts. But what we've kind of missed as a church, I think often is we've dismissed the gifts as being a level of maturity. And what Paul was saying was like, hey, you can be really immature. And he even talked about it. He's like, there's a ton of gifts floating around here. Let me just get some order. Because yes. the church was moving in the gifts. And so I'm curious when you say, you said it, I thought was interesting. You said you can be around it, but not access it. So yeah. do you think that there are believers that, how would we know for those that are listening? Cause we, of course, we have a very diverse group of people that listen. And I love that. I don't think we all have to be in the same season and process to, to learn from each other. But what if someone says, I think I'm filled. I don't know if I'm filled or do I have gifts of the spirit? Like, how would I know if I'm just watching it or I've actually accessed it? Is there tangible evidence? Yeah. So I think one thing is how do I know that I'm filled or how do I know that I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit? And, and here's how I would answer that. Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you, have you um, submitted yourself to a local church? Have you, have you gone through these things where that, where you're saying I have identified baptism? I have, I've, I've identified my life with the life of Jesus. And so at that moment, when those things all take place, like you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, um, and again, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 12, and he talks about this in um, Ephesians 4, 7. So Ephesians 4, 7, let's just kind of um, open up the text and go there really quick. Ephesians 4, 7, and Havla, I am a little bit of a Greek nerd, so there are things that happen in the text I think that are- Yes, yes. I want to give one of them. Um, in Ephesians 4, 7, this is what Paul says, but grace, and that's the Greek word charis, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So the word grace here is charis, which just means a free gift that's given. But then there's also uh, another word over here um, that is the, the English word gift, but the Greek word is domata. And basically what Paul is doing, he's connecting these two thoughts. One is that it's the, the Holy Spirit gives a gift, a gracious gift, which means we didn't earn it, right? But the second is that it's, it's, it's a domotic gift, which means in the ancient Greek world around this time, gifts, there's this re reciprocity that took place. If you received even a free gift, there's an expectation of what you do with that gift. There's an expectation of how you steward that gift and, and, and what happens as a result of receiving that gift. I think this is behind the scenes here with Paul when he talks about gift giving. So you ask the question, um, how do I know that, that I have the Holy Spirit? And how do I know that I've got um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the things is, and I'm just going to like kind of list out these, these gifts. There's prophecy, I love it. there's teaching, there's exhorting. Like, can we pause for a second? And, and, and like, we haven't even got to the crazy, miraculous, supernatural, like, like these are kind of everyday things. Um, there's service, 
there's leading, there's giving, there's mercy, there's faith. Uh, and so do you have the gift? Uh, so here's, here's the question. This happened the other day with my kids. We're driving and there's a homeless person on the side and we keep kind of, uh, you know, bags to give to, to people and they're asking for something. And we stopped. And actually my oldest son, Liam said, Hey dad, I think, I think we really need to give one of our gifts. And actually I think we need to give something a little bit more because, you know, and I thought, okay, um, Liam, you have the gift of mercy, you know? And so that inclination in your heart to do that thing is evidence that you have the gift. Now, here's the question. Will you exercise the gift? I'm a sports guy and there's this thing called uh, muscular uh, atrophy, you know? Yeah. And so I tore my ACL a long time ago playing basketball and you should have seen my, my leg. It just like, it just shrunk down. Why? Because I didn't use it. And the longer I didn't use it, the, the, the smaller my muscles became. I think that could be an illustration for gifts and, and the Holy Spirit and how he gives us gifts. I think you could have spiritual atrophy when you're not exercising the gifts. And so I would say, do you know that you have the gifts? Do you have an inclination to do any of these things? Do you find yourself in a small group and you just get a word, like you can see the text in a different way. You know the right questions to ask. Well, that's a teaching gift. You have it. You can exercise it. Um, but to the level that you exercise it, I think the Lord is going to steward it and then give you opportunities to grow in those areas. That is brilliant. And I love that. You know, I, I just am right in line with you where, you know, God doesn't want us to change who we are to follow him. He knows who he created us to be. And usually what's on our lives is there's evidence of that from the very beginning. I have four kids, you have four kids. You know, I, it's funny. I took a spiritual gifts test many, many years ago and I got zero on mercy. <laughs> <laughs> like, like not even like a chance. And my husband's like, yeah, I know. Like my <laughs> kids, when something happens in our house and somebody has something like they get hurt or something, my boys will literally say to each other, having learned from me, that's what happens. That's what happens. I'm like, okay, that is, I do not have the gift of mercy, but I have the gift of exhortation. I mean, I've been exhorting from high school, right? Before I was on a platform, I've been exhorting. And whether it was for good or bad, I had a gift of exhortation. My dad did a full study on this many years ago. And we'll talk, he's going to be on the podcast next week. But he did a study of how many times Jesus operated in the gifts. Mm. And the number one, two thirds, of the time he worked in the gifts of the word of wisdom and word of knowledge way more than signs and wonders. So we get caught up on a few things that he didn't do that often. And we think that's the predominant feature, although I think it's available. Uh, we get stuck on not even operating the basic word of knowledge, word of wisdom, which we need all the time. So I'm curious in your study, where do people start to disconnect from the gifts of the spirit? Like, okay, I'm operating in it. But now uh, this is, what, what gifts do you feel like are the ones that people have the harder time experiencing as uh, maybe a conservative or a charismatic? Where do yeah. we end up having those okay, conflicts? So we'll, we'll just go right at it. Cause I think, I think <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I so my, my theological training is diverse. Like I mentioned earlier, there is a group of people um, who would, and they might be listening right now. And I would just say like, 
with an charitability, like I get the perspective. They would say, well, the gifts, it's called cessationism. Yeah. That the gifts died, the, the miraculous, the supernatural gifts died um, along with the first century church. Once the apostles were gone, then all of the gifts ceased. In fact, um, I had a professor once um, who is just a brilliant professor, uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner, um, who's a renowned New Testament scholar and wrote an excellent book. And I just want to read uh, the introduction. This is what he says in his introduction. Uh, basically, he defends cessationism. That's his, his whole point. But this is what he says. He says, the first thing, though, I need to say, I could be mistaken in arguing for cessationism. And I just thought, my goodness, how, how humble is that to come out of the bat and say, I could be wrong on some of these things. Um, and so now on the flip side, on the flip side, where did the distinction take place? I think part of when the division and this idea that the gifts seized took, um, took place is honestly a misuse and a weaponizing of the gifts that created division and disunity inside of the church. Now, here's wow. the problem. This is antithetical to the gospel, and it's antithetical to the mission and the vision of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit falls upon all of the people, uh, this is so vitally important that we, I think, have we take a step back and we think, well, what is the goal of the Holy Spirit? The goal of the Holy Spirit is always to bring unity amongst the body, to bring people who are once at enmity and, and at war with each other and bring them together because of the Messiah, because of the blood of Jesus. This is what um, Acts chapter 2 says in verse four and they were all filled with the holy spirit and the all is all like i looked at the greek there is no distinction they were all filled with the holy spirit when they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance and then verse eight says the people start to talk and they go how is it that we each hear are uh, the message of the gospel basically in our own native language and then there's a list of all of the nations that had gathered at the Feast of Booths around this time. If you took a, that list and you compared it to Genesis chapter 11, which is the table of nations that happens right before Babel and all the nations are diverse, uh, diversified, Acts chapter 2 is a reversal of Babel. Acts chapter 2 actually redemptively brings together wow. all of the people together in unity. But here's what's so important. The unification does not cause ethnic obliteration. The ethnicity, the background, the culture is not obliterated when they come into the family of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. Actually, it's celebrated. God saw fit that the Holy Spirit would communicate the, the message of the gospel in their own native tongues. So how did we get to this place? I think we got to this place once the gifts were used um, for self-edification and self-glorification and self-proclamation and not for its primary gifts, which is the unification um, of the body of Christ to sit under the, the King, the, the Messiah. And it's sad. It's sad that there's, I think, a misapplication um, because of a misunderstanding and therefore we kind of have, I think, in my opinion, a misinterpretation. Um, I don't know how you can go to a place like India, which I was in the internship and I went with uh, the Rock and Roll. This is when I first met y'all uh, <laughs> over there with my grandparents and I watched a woman. Uh, the, the interns, they all prayed for this woman who was bent over backwards, like her back was bent, bent, you know, and um, literally as the team had prayed for her, you just saw her stand straight up. It's like a scene out of the, out of the ancient Near mm -hmm. East. As soon as she was healed, she ran back into town. It's almost like John chapter four and the woman, yeah. right? She runs back into town and says, 
come and meet this man named Jesus who healed my back. And everybody's like, you know, you were hunched over and now you're standing straight up. And that night we had a revival. So how can we say, this is just experientially at this point, biblically and theologically, that the miraculous gifts have ceased when people are actually giving their lives to Jesus as a result of supernatural healing. But Again, even that thing can be weaponized and misused. And when that happens, it becomes there's confusion and disunity and division within the church. And that's how I think we get to a polar opposite reaction, which says, well, I don't want anything to do with that because I'm, I'm worried about what could happen and not realize actually if we submit ourselves to Jesus and his lordship, we should be worried about what could, what, what wouldn't happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh my gosh. I feel like I just want you to say what you just said like a thousand times. I just want to listen to every word because I have been studying this thousands of hours. It feels like now what you just said is just brilliant and profound, which is it's misused. It's been misused to a point that's actually hurt the church rather than unified. And what you talked about, how it brings it all back from the diversifying and and the lack of unity now to a unifying moment you know, I'm with you, like the gifts aren't going to be, we're not going to need the gifts in heaven. We're going to be whole. We're going to have, you know, our bodies, we're not going to be, the Bible says there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more pain. I don't know if it's an actual specific place, but I know that heaven exists. And ultimately, and I just mean that because people get caught up in like, is it right here? Is it this? Is it where Jesus is? At this point, I'm just trying to say ultimately that the gifts, the spirit were really used to get people to come to Christ. That was the purpose and to build up the believer. So if it's yes. not building people up and it's not pointing people to Jesus who saves our soul and heals our eternal soul, mm-hmm. then let's, then why? And I, I agree. I think a lot of people that I've talked to in the past that at one time believed, but no longer do is that it was weaponized. And I, even as you talked about it, I felt emotional about it because I think we've, if we've been in any kind of charismatic environment, we've watched people use the gift for their own moment yeah. and it's hurt people. It's, it's victimized people. I know I don't like to use that word very often, but it has, it's humiliated people. It's judged people publicly. It's tried to manipulate them to change their behavior. And that's just not how a father does it. And so I just, I love what you said. And I think that's brilliant. And just that, just how you began, which is just, we could be wrong. And I think any type of topic like this, one of the things as I got deeper and deeper, and of course, you know, way more than I do on this topic was um, the mystery, you mm. know, like sometimes we're so stuck on, is it this or is it that? Or is it, did Paul mean this? or is it, And I love the Greek, I'm with you, yeah. but there's something about the mystery. And I've, I've shared this before, but I remember talking to my dad and being like, you know, dad, I have these four kids and I want them to serve God. And, you know, what should I do? And how do I do that? And should I bring them to this church? And should I have them go to this camp? And I mean, I'm just looking for strategy because I'm like, I want my kids to love God as much as I love him. Cause I know without him, it's a miserable life. Mm. And I said, what do you, what do I do? And he said, Havala, never forget the miracle. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you need a miracle. You need your kids to have a miraculous moment that you cannot genetically engineer that has to be God direct. And I think what you're saying about the gifts, of the spirit, everything you're talking about is there's a miraculous moment to it. There's a unifying, there's something that we cannot define and contain that changes us. 
And it should change us for the better. It should make us more legalistic. It should make us more judgmental. It should make us a lack of empathy or a lack of compassion, or even for those that are weaker in the faith or stronger or whatever, it should be a line in the sand. And I, I really just love what you have to say about that. And, and like you said too, which I, if you can give me a little more context too, those people that do see evidence, like we're seeing evidence of signs and wonders bringing people to Christ, which is what you mentioned. Yeah. Why, what, what is the, why is that complex for people that are very intelligent and know the Lord and love the Lord? Why is that conflicting for them? Yeah. Is it made up? Yeah. I think that's a really, really good question. And anything that I would say here is pure speculation. And so this is where I think um, it's really important for us to sit around tables with people that think differently than us and to have honest, charitable conversations. So, you know, I had a professor once who said, um, before you ever argue your point, like theologically or whatever it might be, you've got to be so understanding of the opposite point that you can argue that better than the people who are arguing it themselves. Um, And so here's one thing that I thing happens, especially with the hyper, more intellectual minded people, which I probably more lean that way, you know, and you said it, mystery is so, the mystery of the, of the Holy Spirit breaks every compartment of systematic theology that we have. It's, it's an irony that we, there's a systematic theology <laughs> called pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit breaks that system instantly. The Holy Spirit does what he wants, when he wants, how he wants it, all to the honor uh, of the Father and uh, in the service of the Son. You see, see it's, it's working together. So I think what happens sometimes is in order to fight for our system that we've built, we almost have to overlook other evidences of scripture that the Holy Spirit works in unique ways at special times in different ways uh, because that would break our system. And so it's almost like intellectualism and trying to fight for our position and what we um, think we have because of maybe one verse that we read or, or one thing that we've been taught that actually serves as a hindrance for us. Um, And for those people, I, I actually kind of, um, I'm empathetic. I understand that the desire for um, continuity and um, to kind of know how A plus B equals C. But the thing is, is the one who created A and B and C is God and God can turn (laughs) A to Z if he wants to. And God can turn B into five if he wants to. And so there's a point point where we just have to sit back and say, okay, um, what do we know? And this is what Paul talks about when he says, test the spirits, because there are evil spirits. There are false representations. I mean, the devil is, is, is described as an angel of light. So there should be some trepidation. There should be some awareness. I think this is again why Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed because we do need to identify, okay, does the spirit lead ultimately to what we just talked about, unification of the body, the glory of the father and an exaltation of the son? In other words, does the spirit continuously point us back to God or do we have self-proclamation? Or do we have self-platforming? Or do we point back to the individual? And that is the scary side of it. Because at that point, I don't know what spirit is at work. And that's what Paul, I think, is getting at is test the spirits because the the, the Holy Spirit is always going to point us back to Jesus and to God the Father. And you know me, I'm in an environment where we are very, we way, we way more lean on the mystical and the supernatural. And 
that's where my caution comes for those of us that have created an identity from the gifts of the spirit rather than in Jesus Christ and what he's done. And there's a disconnect that I don't need to have a life of character or uh, humility or um, a sobriety because the gifts of the spirit must confirm my character. And I just am like, guys, we've got to sober up. You, you can operate and the gifts will not be taken. The Bible says they will not be given back. Meaning you have them, they're yours. And the spirit behind it is what we get to decide. And that takes humility. Um, sometimes operating the gifts of the spirit is more about not than it is at doing it. Meaning, am I going to be led by what my father is doing rather than proving that he is going, like he heals people. Well, did he ask you to pray for that person? Did he ask you to make that public? Did he ask you yes. to yell their name? Like we just get so stuck on, well, he said he, we could do it rather than, but did he ask you to? And there's yeah. a present leading and a humility that requires, there's been many times where I've felt a prophetic unction or something and I felt the Lord say, nope. And that's not like, well, I could give them, and I have, I have pushed and given a prophetic word because I know this is right. And it was right. It wasn't not right, but it was, it, I, the motivation behind it, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't want to operate in the gifts of spirit like that to prove to whatever it was. I don't even know fully, but just that kind of, they're not weapons. They're not tools that we use to get people to do what we want them to do or think what we want them to think. They're gifts that should be used with humility and sobriety. And ultimately, uh, they don't, they're not our identity. And that's really critical. I'm curious, Joel, as we exit this, this conversation, what would be your appeal to us as we go into the study and we start to discover this? And I know you know a lot about this topic, but I know you, you, you really obviously recommended that we not pick sides too soon or at least argue the side that we most believe. Uh, but what would be your, your caution and maybe your exhortation to us as believers as we jump into the gifts of the spirit? Yeah, I, I would say this, and, and this is just my personal experience, that just because you exercise a gift, you're given a gift. You know, scripture is so clear. Paul is so clear. We've even looked at a couple of these verses already um, that the one gift that is given to all believers without any restriction is the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the one we long for. That's the one we all are empowered by. Now, the Holy Spirit is individual gifts based off of his wisdom. And so there is this thing that we want the, um, the glamorous gifts, you know, we want, we, and, and so what happens is we actually are, um, are not good stewards of the gifts that God has given us, that we could actually work in powerful ways for the good of the King and of our community. And so wow. I would say one is that is don't, um, if you have the gift of service, if you've got the these, these gifts, um, don't forsake them because you're looking for something bigger, better, and greater, which our culture is screaming at us. You know, Instagram is, is algorithmed in a way to wire our minds and our hearts and our emotions to long for those things, you know? Um, and so that's one word of caution. And, and, and here's the, the second one for those that do have um, incredible, miraculous gifts. Um, don't allow those gifts to instantly equate as spiritual maturity. And don't allow in your mind for you to then look at the person who has the gift of hospitality and that they are inferior, yeah, less than. 
um, because throughout the course of my study, I'm in my, my home library right now. I've got lots of books all around me. Uh, it's really sad. I can literally pick up probably one <laughs> books um, of people that operated in brilliant intelligence. But Havila, when we get behind the scenes of their life, their life was anything but that. It is absolutely possible for you to exercise gifts of the spirit and I don't know how this is. This is still a sobering reality for me for there to still be corruption in my heart where the gift, I can start out strong with the gifts, but I become enamored with myself and not the giver of those good gifts. It is so true. And you and I both know that, you know, it is not a testimony to how somebody gives operate. It's not the, it's not the behind the scenes. And I often tell my husband that if, when you see my, behind the scenes, not emulating what is in front of everybody, you have every right to say, have, this is, you're being, this is inauthentic and hypocritical, like, and it doesn't mean everything has to be perfect. And you and I both know that, like, we're not going to do this perfectly, but there is that, that part where, you know, the crowd will always be wrong. You know, the crowd will never get it right. And so I'd rather um, my husband, my family, those closest to me know the truth. And I think that's really, it takes a humility, because like you said, the world will praise the gifts. They want the gifts. They love the gifts. They want to elevate you. They want you to be bigger than life. Uh, they want to have a hero. Uh, but ultimately, the best hero we can have is Jesus Christ himself. And he is the safest hero to have. And I think that's really important. And Joel, I'm so honored to have your time. Obviously, you are um, articulate and brilliant in your in your studying, but also I can just tell that you've lifted out and asked really good questions. Thank you for joining me on this conversation. And I hope that you will join me again on further podcasts as we dive more into this topic and um, other topics, because your voice is needed in this generation. And I'm really honored to have known you when, and now know you now. (laughs) This is such a full circle moment for me. I I told Britt last night when, you know, when I was getting ready for this, I just said, gosh, how good is, is the Lord that, um, (laughs) This, this many years later, we would get to connect. And I'm such a huge fan of you guys and Ben. And, and I love watching your kids grow up. And um, and gosh, what a testimony to God's goodness in, um, in your life. Yeah, you've sent me texts, just some critical moments where you've said this, like when I've been like, I don't know if this is okay. And you've been like, you, that's right. That's yeah. true. That's what the Bible says. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Joel yeah, you're knows. saying things where I'm like, thank you. Like, say it louder. Like, preach it louder for 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 the fam in the back. So, yes. Right, right, right. I'm, let me just say, I'm, I'm screenshotting your texts and your DMs and sending it to my family. So I appreciate it. But anyway, give yeah. my love to your wife and your family. Have a Merry Christmas. And thanks for being on the podcast. You bet. <laughs> Bye, Joel. All right. See you later. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Joel is such a gift. We love how he simplifies things and unpacks it for us to make it easy to understand. This is just the beginning and we are so excited for this study. Make sure you go pre-order the book now at the amazing price that it is. You can go to our website, shop.truthtotable.com and then go sign up for the study. Click the link in the show notes, spiritualgiftsstudy.com. It is a free 15-day study. Pavla is going to unpack this stuff more and more, and it is going to be amazing. We have thousands of women all
all over the world join us every year. So join us, share this episode with a friend, invite them to join us as well. Tag us so we can share it. We want everyone to discover and activate their spiritual gifts as we walk into this new year. Mm-hmm.